Welcome to Belief Beat, a weekly podcast of Unity Lutheran Church. I'm John Horner Eibler, this week's conversation organizer, and I'm happy to share the next 30 minutes or so with two people from Unity who I know well as members and who I think you will really uh, enjoy getting to know a little bit better because of what they do professionally. It's a father-son duo, or put in other generational terms, someone from the sandwich generation and someone from the millennial generation. So you have a little bit more of a sense of who they are. Uh, It's uh, Eric and Jacob Gravenkamp. Jacob is in his 20s and he holds his bachelor's degree in exercise science, his master's degree in clinical exercise physiology, both of those from uh, Carroll University. He currently works as a fitness specialist in the wellness department at Presbyterian Homes and Services, and he also works as a light at Lifetime as a kid's fitness instructor. Jacob grew up at Unity, and now it's just kind of cool to welcome him back as a professional in this field, and uh, to me, very interestingly, as a professional working with two really different age groups and sets of needs. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Jacob. Appreciate you being on, Pastor John. Cool. Jacob's dad is Eric. He's a support services specialist for Brighton Hospice. He oversees bereavement and volunteer coordinators along with social workers and chaplains. Uh, Brighton Hospice serves patients in Portland, Las Vegas, Minneapolis, southeastern Wisconsin, and Indianapolis. 90% of the hospice patients that Brighton serves are in long-term care facilities and assisted living facilities. Eric is a past president of Unity's Church Council, And something like his son has worked over the years across uh, age groups and settings, but in the time I've known him, uh, he's really specialized primarily in hospice care and working with seniors. And you as well, Eric. Great to be here, John. Thanks for asking me on the program. Yeah, it's really good to have you both here. Uh, I thought just to get us started, a a simple place to to, to open is with what everybody in the world is dealing with, which is COVID-19. And I was thinking of the two of you in your your various settings. What are a couple of ways in which your just your own personal daily routine has been affected by COVID-19? Jacob, can I toss that one to you first? Absolutely. So with school ending at the end of the semester, we had to completely switch to doing virtual learning. This was a completely different experience for all of us, really. Um, Just got so used to being in person, working at our school's clinic and doing everything there. And so switching that online learning was pretty unique situation. And then kind of just going from doing the school full time work. Uh, then just going to work and only having things to do online for school is kind of difficult trying to re-navigate my schedule, going from doing so many things to having so much free time, just kind of restructuring my day as well as weekends, just trying to figure out new things to do and all that good stuff. I, with with your schooling, I, I would think at the end of your program would have been a lot of clinical stuff. Did, did that suddenly all come to a stop? So we actually began doing, we call virtual sessions where we would either email our individual clients um, exercise sessions to do. Otherwise they could do Skype sessions where we would just do a Skype video session with them to see them do their actual exercise and then make 
suggestions with them there um depending on the individual they got to choose which way they wanted to go but either way it was definitely a lot more different than being one-on-one with the person at our actual clinic being able to monitor vitals and actually seeing them perform and finding out what they like and don't like and just being able to check on form and all that stuff Right. Well, I, w- I would think that would be. Uh, did you have a couple of, of clients, however, that you worked with maybe by Skype who actually took to it really well and, and found that an easy transition to make? Yeah. So a few of my classmates did end up having a few um, Skype sessions and they said it did go well just because they still got to see their clients and get that good feedback. My uh, clients chose to do the email route, so I didn't get to see them exercise anymore. And I think that was an extremely difficult transition, but I think a lot of people did often like the Skype sessions and it's actually starting to lean towards that direction a little bit within like cardiac rehab and pulmonary rehab to doing these virtual sessions as an option, especially going forward with the unknown certainties that we have going on. Yeah. Wow. That, that's, that's our world in a, in a, uh, short view, isn't it? I mean, uh, just so many things where you don't know what the what the new normal is going to be. Hey, Eric, how about uh, switching over to you? How about, uh, you know, how's your daily routine been affected? Yeah, I um, actually started my new job and my new role in December, and um, my job was uh, requiring me to do quite a bit of travel because we're in five different sites. And so I started off in February basically going to each site and then starting in mid-March was told we're no longer traveling um, to to each individual place. So I ended up spending all of my time working at home, which has been fine. You know, I've been able to navigate Zoom meetings pretty well and I'm on on calls on a daily basis, kind of connecting with all the different staff, but definitely some big adjustments. I mean, for me personally, um, I'm a little meeting out with the computer you know it's tough to to kind of stare at it all day and even though you're connecting with people it's just not the same for me personally in person i I miss the the human contact you know that's kind of what i thrive on and so um it's it's different you know it's it's okay to be able to connect when you can see people better than nothing but it's to me feels different so uh when when you think of kind of your age peers, uh, uh, I'm older than you are, Eric, but if you're charitable, you'll include me as one of your age peers. Absolutely. We're close. Thanks, Eric. You're a good guy. What do we think of our age peers uh, and the adjustments that people are kind of facing right now? Uh, What have you kind of been observing in our culture that's been a positive in terms of people who are are handling it? And what have you kind of observed as, as maybe... Uh, negative and uh, as as people try to adjust so my friends and I as far as connecting wise you know we have been honoring the the social distancing thing and have really tried to stick to that so it has been a lot of connecting you know via um, you know FaceTime or um, Zoom meetings and things like that I think um, even even after things have uh, even after the state supreme court ruled you know opening Wisconsin, you know for the most part I think all of my peers are still really wanting to honor that 
safe, safer at home and uh, protecting themselves and protecting other people and things. And, you know, are definitely taking this pretty seriously. Um, uh, you know, we, I have friends from kind of all different political backgrounds and views and things like that. And I think it, it does cross um boundaries as far as you know people people do realize that this is a big deal and, and want to be safe and so we can all agree that we can all kind of do our part in that um it obviously it moves a little bit depending on where people come from but um i think people definitely are adjusting their lifestyle and and really want to protect themselves and others yeah i I've, I've been uh, you're right. There sure are a lot of different opinions, but I have been generally really almost amazed at at how uh, well uh, our society as a whole adjusted to what people saw as a really uh, urgent need. And, you know, now it's going to be a new challenge as we go forward. And probably we won't all be on the same page, but to get, you know, most of the world actually on the same page for like a two month period was uh certainly hasn't happened in our lifetimes and in a way was uh, really kind of a blessing and encouraging to see. Uh, Jacob, kind of the same uh, question over to you. Uh, I don't want to make you speak for everybody in their kind of early to mid twenties, but uh, tell me a little bit what it's like for, as you watch your peers right now, I would think some of them are sort of in like limbo or suspended animation as they kind of work from, uh, graduation into their first jobs, or maybe they started first jobs and then suddenly they stopped. Uh, are, are, do you feel like your people your age are kind of rolling with that and doing okay with it? Or do you feel like uh, there's people your age are kind of frightened and struggling with it? I, I don't really have a sense of that. What, what do you think? No, I think you do get a strong mix of both. Um, luckily, the people in my class were already positioned in jobs towards the end of graduation. Um, I think most of them had their roles changed. For instance, a lot of my friends were in rehab already. And within their hospitals, they were relocated to being like cleaners or doing um, intake or surveys for people entering the hospital things like that. So they still get to work, but they're just in a completely different role within their hospital. And then the people that didn't work are just, like you said, kind of stuck in that limbo where they're trying to find jobs, but not a lot of places are hiring right now. Um, so they're just sitting, kind of searching, trying to stay occupied while they can. But eventually they're, I mean, very anxious to get out and use their degree to really start helping people, which was the ultimate goal throughout all that schooling. And it's just hard for them kind of sitting back right now, trying to figure out what they can do. But in the meantime, I think they're doing a great job, just using their time wisely, figuring out new ways that they can remain active and still remain conscious of the situation. But yeah, it's just one of those things. They realize they don't have much power over it nothing they can do. So they're just kind of rolling with it for now, but definitely anxious to get out there and start working. Yeah. I would imagine anxiety would be, you know, one good word for all of that. I, on the other hand, you know, good for a lot of them for realizing, you know, they can't control it. Uh, I always hope people 
especially in a situation like this, can kind of separate a little bit their own uh, situation, like feeling like responsible for something that they have no responsibility for at some level anyway. I mean, uh, and maybe that helps all of us in that we're all going through it and everybody kind of recognizes that, uh, you know, nobody asked for it. And as a result, nobody can kind of direct exactly where it's going. Uh, let me switch gears a little bit to, to Eric and maybe more specifically what you do in, in your field of work. Um, and maybe this is more from kind of your lifetime experience, Eric, than any one specific thing that you're dealing with right now. But I, I just think of uh, seniors, those in the hospital, people who live in loan, alone, uh, they're just, I think, more people now who are suddenly uh, alone or isolated than had been the case previously. When you think about that, how... Uh, how can people respond to that in the most healthy way possible, realizing that uh, it's so open-ended and people don't know what the new normal is and they don't know when this kind of uh, in-between period is going to end? I mean, that's such a broad question, but where where would you help somebody even start with that? Yeah, I, I mean, it's a, it's a tough situation because I think especially people that are at, you know, understand later stages in life and especially in facilities, um, you know, they look forward to that human contact. And, um, you know, now that we're limiting that from families and friends, um, being in a facility anyway can be kind of isolating because you're changing from your home and your independence and, and now are kind of giving up some of that independence, which is already a challenge. Um, but now we're also dealing with lack of, you know, social stimulation in, in many ways. And so it, it does create, I think, um, some more anxiety in people, more fear, more feeling alone and depression. I know all of those things are included, but I think we've been forced to kind of get creative in how we can try to connect with people. Um, you know, I, I get the kind of privilege of seeing different sites. So I, it's nice to kind of pay attention to what other people are doing. And a social worker and a chaplain in, in Oregon, um, we're, you know, feeling really bad for people that were inside. So they dressed up in costumes and went outside and um, did for the whole facility. One was a cow costume and the other one was an ice cream cone and they chased each other around and, you know, things nice. like that, that, you know, you'd never normally do in a, in a, non-COVID situation, but it, it brought, you know, joy to people. Um, the, the, uh, we've had people write letters, do little messages to, to uh, patients and families, dropping them off at the door, just letting them know that we're thinking about on personal cards. The other thing that's been really helpful is uh, Echo 5s, uh, um, not to promo the old Echo 5s, but any device like that where you can actually – um, call in to them and, and it doesn't take a lot to, you don't have to have a person kind of holding the phone if, if, especially for po folks with some sort of dementia that have difficulty with the phone, you can actually call into this device and you can, their picture will show up. 
and there can be communication back and forth. And, and that's been really powerful for our, our staff, you know, nurses, home health aides that aren't allowed in buildings, social workers, chaplains, to be able to connect with people and for them to feel connected too. So we've had some pretty powerful end of life situations where, um, uh, Pastors come in and brought family in through the Echo Five, and they've been able to witness the the sacrament of the anointing of the sick or uh, last blessings, um, you know, things like that. That if they can't be there in person, at least they can kind of get the next best thing, you know, through a, a mechanical device. And so, you know, I think it's time. It's times like this where you just have to be creative and think of ways, kind of outside the box, of how do we connect? You know, how do we stay connected? And what can we individually and collectively do to to support people that are are very isolated at this time? Do you, do you find that people who are living in a assisted care facility or something like that are are they in a like a different place than um, maybe you know uh, people who run the place or groups like yours? In other words, would they love to like? just go back to normal or are they very aware that uh, uh, it's important not to, in a sense, go back to normal? I mean, how does that play out on a daily basis? Yeah, I think um, people's health is, I guess, um, kind of at the forefront as far as physical health and realizing why they're not allowed visit visits and things. Um, I did, and it was an interesting uh, uh, story from a family member from one of our chaplains whose uh, daughter had called one of our chaplains and said, I understand kind of why you're doing the social distancing and I get it. And she said, but I feel like your visits are more important to my mom than being than her being protected. I think she'll die of depression without having you come to visit before she'll die of COVID. You know, so I think, you know, it is a matter of perspective in her mind that that isolation that her mother was feeling. And I think a lot of that was her helplessness, you know, wanting to be there for her mom and couldn't be. So, um, you know, just realizing how important those chaplain visits were to her mother and just expressing her grief, you know, over not, you know, having that chaplain be able to come visit anymore. And that's how, how much it meant to her to have, you know, this particular chaplain reaching out to to his mom. So a lot of different stories like that, I think. Um, but I do think that, you know, people who are in facilities do understand the reason for the having not having visitors and things because they're, they're a huge risk factor. Um, but it's still tough, you know, I think to be isolated like that. Yeah. No, it really is. And we've, uh, we've had, We've had similar conversations with that with, uh, I think, quite a few of our members, just, just they're wrestling with uh, how hard it is to be alone, and yet they don't want to jeopardize themselves or, or others. But um, uh, it, it's just such a hard thing uh, for people to kind of carry and, and exist with. Uh, Jacob... Uh, I think of, uh, you know, your, your work is in uh, people's uh, ongoing or improving physical health and wellness. And, and now this is going a little bit away from specifically the work you do, but uh, I, I'm, I'm just kind of curious, again, what, what you're thinking. Uh, 
I, for example, see a lot of people out walking and biking these days, but I also hear a lot of people say, you know, they're not doing anything and they're gaining weight and they're not being active at all. Um, when you think both professionally when you work with people and when you think just, you know, being a regular human being in daily life, uh, how do you, how do you help people kind of interrupt, uh, unproductive patterns in terms of their physical well-being and and slowly go in a different direction where do you where do you begin with that right so i'm going to break that into two parts um personally just average people i think a lot of people just get so used to being able to go to gyms and having all that access to equipment that they get into a situation like this where every gym is closed. We're forced to work at home. Are there still things I can do? Are there things that I like to do at home? Are there things that I can safely do at home? Things like that. So I always just suggest find that niche that you just enjoy that maybe it's not exactly what you're doing at the gym, but you can kind of reproduce at home. Um, you do see a lot of people out biking, walking, running throughout neighborhoods and parks, which is great to see, but you run into days like today where it's raining, it's cold and you're kind of locked up inside more. So what do we do from there? I think a lot of gyms have done a great job providing videos and access to kind of similar classes that they would be doing if you're actually at the gym that don't require any equipment they're easy to follow. People can always have access to those. And even if you didn't belong to those gyms, there's a million things you can find out on the internet that provide good, active, uh, great instruction. Um, just trying to find different ways to remain active. But yeah, just finding things that you still enjoy. No one wants to go do things that they hate on a daily basis because you're never going to be consistent with that kind of exercise pattern. So you just got to find what you like, make sure it's beneficial to you and just keep at it, trying to find a time within your day, especially that you can force yourself to kind of fit in that half hour to an hour of exercise to remain active and avoid putting on those extra pounds that none of us want, especially as we head into summer and hopefully beaches start to open, keep those beach bods going. <laughs> um, and then at work, it's just a completely different spectrum because people rely on the kind of the equipment that we use for either doing their rehab or just the regular exercise patterns. So it kind of had to revamp there where I'm starting to do um, virtual, like we have a, everyone has a TV. So I'm doing televised chair classes that anybody can do that provides some movement, but for some that's still not enough. So I'm writing a lot of different exercise routines that they can do within their own home. Uh, they don't require any equipment and hopefully they can just carve out, you know, that half hour of time that they can do just to fit that kind of thing in. We also provide a lot of different like challenges. So this whole month we've been doing a walking challenge where people record how long they walk per day. And then at the end of the month, we total it up and you get an award based on different things. So trying to find different ways to motivate people, keep them active, whether it just be in their own apartment or being able to go out. Either you're at your home or if, like at my work where the people are more reliant on the equipment, just finding different ways, being creative, just to keep people active and healthy during this time. When, when you <clears throat> got started, I, 
excuse me, laughed at myself a little bit uh, because uh, cut off from my normal routine of the swimming, I, uh, I was trying to figure out what, what would I even do. And then one day I noticed this rusty basketball hoop in our driveway, which I think you've maybe played on once or twice, Jacob, over the years. And, yeah, a few times. <laughs> and even though I'm a 61-year-old man and there are uh, uh, nobody, nobody for me to be playing with, I've taken to just going out there and shooting baskets for like 20, 30 minutes a day. And I figure I may look ridiculous, but I don't really care. And it's kind of like what you said. I, I love the idea of just find one thing that you kind of like really enjoy uh, and do it. Uh, given the lack of other options, uh, you know, why not? Like for yourself, what what's one or two things you're doing right now to personally stay in shape? Right. So, I mean, I've been kind of switching it up day to day. Um, some days I'll do a lot of interval training. Uh, we do have a fair amount of like lower weights. So it's kind of made an adjustment to how I change up my exercise routine that I used to do at the gym and kind of adapting it to what I can do here and just trying to like maintain everything that I had and not lose too much. So then when I, the gyms do reopen, I can go back and kind of fall back into that routine I had previously, but we do have a fair amount of equipment here, but even if we didn't, um, there's just a lot of different body weight exercises that I know I can do just getting outside using just nature itself, just to kind of do different things. So, I mean, it helps that I have that educational background as well with my master's degree in exercise physiology. I kind of have a broader idea of things that I can do or different ways to use different things, but it's just all about, you know, getting out, finding that thing you like, being able to do it safely is a big thing. I'm not going to go do something I wouldn't normally do. Um, just, staying within my boundaries too, try not to push too much. Um, just, I don't want to get in that loop where I'm afraid of losing everything I had, but then pushing myself too hard and just getting injured or something or doing something that I know I can't do. So just staying within my own limits, which is extremely important, but at the same time, staying healthy and active. Yeah. I like that. I, I like both finding something, you know, that, that you can do and, and maintaining. I mean, it's, it's not a time, you know, where anybody's going to be, you know, maybe setting new personal bests, but uh, we don't have to like fall way backward either in the midst of that. You said one thing using nature, what, what would be an example of using like nature itself to, to somehow uh, stay physically fit? I mean, it's funny, like you can always go out, just find a really big stick and kind of just, sling it around, maybe just hold it while you do different movements, walk oh, around your yard, yeah. holding different heavy objects. I mean, you just kind of got to get creative with what you have and just come up with new ideas and do new movements. There's all kinds of things that you can do with whatever you find, even within your house that you can turn into kind of just exercise equipment. Okay. If you have a milk jug sitting in your fridge use that. I had a couple clients that I was using with school. I told them if you have a milk jug in your fridge or a heavy backpack, we can use that for like 10 different things. Awesome. Who, Jacob and I actually, Jacob and I, yeah, Jacob and I actually did some wood chopping too, which was kind oh. of a cool thing using different muscles and stuff like that. So yeah, that's, that's a, that's a workout. 
Hey, Eric, can I, we're kind of popping all over the place, but that's kind of what I was actually hoping we'd do. Um, sure. But, uh, uh, tell me a little bit, uh, for, for families who are, uh, there's a lot of things people are grieving right now, but, uh, uh, people are literally grieving uh, things like loss of in-person contact. People are grieving um, deaths within the family uh, or perhaps an impending death. Uh, and and all of that has changed right now in our society and that so many of the normal support structures aren't there. Uh, in the absence of in-person contact in, in or as not as much as you might have. You kind of touched on that a little bit before, but um, for somebody who's feeling like they're grieving the loss of something, uh, what are a couple of handles for them to grab onto? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I deal with loss quite a bit and, and everyday conversations with, with people that I, you know, work with and things. And I, I do think it, Attitude makes a big difference. And, you know, what Jacob was talking about with exercise and things like that and keeping positive and things. But I also think it's kind of important to, to name your loss, you know, and, and to kind of acknowledge it. I think sometimes we tend to just skip over it and not, you know, avoid it or afraid to name it or whatever it is. But, you know, it's, it's, I think important to say, you know, it kind of stinks that I'm not able to to do this anymore and to, to be able to say it out loud, to talk to somebody about it. And then of course, you know, finding people that, you know, are going to be good listeners and also support you and, and, you know, dealing with your loss. I think that's huge. Even if it's just one person that, kind of understands and gets you and, and gets where you're at and is not going to kind of poo-poo or try to change what you're feeling too quickly or diminish it, but to really um, say, you know, you're right, that is hard and I, I get it. So finding that person that can empathize with you is really important. And then I think if if you do know that you're really stuck and that you're really um you know, in a bad place, I think that's when you really have to force yourself to kind of look at that professional help. I think obviously John, you and the rest of the pastors at, at Unity um, are really good resources to to be able to have people to talk to. But don't don't stay stuck yourself if it's just not good to kind of where you're not able to even. T- eat, sleep well, all of the activities of daily living that we have to do on a normally norm, uh, normal basis to stay healthy. Um, if you find yourself kind of getting deep in that dark hole, don't, don't, uh, do it by yourself. You got to reach out for help and, um, look for professional people that you can talk to if, mm-hmm. if, uh, your own families aren't enough or you're not, if you're stuck. Yeah. 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 Naming the loss. I, uh, it, it, it's just like the first step towards, um, I, I think getting over it really is when you can actually right. name it and acknowledge it. And, yep. Um, it it's, can be such a simple thing, but such a, a hard thing. Yeah. And thanks. I, one of the things I often say when people talk to us as, as pastors is I just always affirm their, their courage. I, I think, uh, it's hard to reach out when you're in a, a difficult place, but people really do do it all the time. And I've been 
struck again through the midst of this whole COVID thing that people have been reaching out more than I've experienced in the past. And for every one of them, I just uh, kind of affirm their courage and in a sense, their faith in themselves and, and other people um, to reach out because they, they, they know that actually someone wants to be there to support them. Maybe you could end us there a little bit, Eric, when, you know, you're a person of faith. Um, can you say just a little bit about uh, how your faith guides you day by day and, and what you do and who you are? Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely know that I would be in a much different position if it wasn't a faith that I have. And, um, you know, knowing that I... I'm not alone in my own struggles and that I truly believe that, that God is with, with all people. Um, and, and I think sometimes we maybe don't recognize that uh, support that, that is there for us. Um, so I do think that knowing that, you know, for me personally, knowing that I have a faith community that continues to support me and that I continue to, to grow from. And even though it's not the same as being in person, I, I do look forward to watching the uh, weekly services online and I do miss the in-person. I, I think I mentioned that a couple of times um, <laughs> because I don't like staring at my computer screen all the time, but it does fill me. Um, and it is nice to have, uh, have that outlet as well. Um, so my own personal, um, you know, quiet time, my walks with the dog, my continued uh, uh, watching the online church are all ways that I try to try to cope. And my wonderful supportive son and sons and my supportive wife, uh, very fortunate and feel blessed. And and I think it's easy to to kind of look at all the negative stuff, but it's it's also important to say, you know, we've got it pretty good. And I do feel blessed in many, many ways. Thanks. Thanks for we're just sharing all of that. Yeah, for those of us producing the online services, we'd much rather be seeing people in person as well. Uh, but it's it's kind of funny. It it it's an opportunity to uh, do things that we could never normally do, like do a children's message in multiple locations instead of just uh, on the front steps with the kids. And, and so uh, sometimes the differences have been uh, spurred a little creativity. I am. Did you get in? Did you get injured by the ladder? By uh, the way, that, uh, no. If you are, are listening to this and wondering what Eric's talking about, we uh, did a little children's message this past weekend where I needed help from different people, and so I uh, tried to do things that the little kids would appreciate. And at one point, I was stuck underneath a ladder that had fallen on me, and uh, someone came and rescued me. So. Uh, anyhow, we, I would love to talk more with the two of you. We have gone a little bit over time as it is. Uh, but, uh, I so appreciate, uh, spending time with us and I, uh, far more than that, appreciate, uh, what you do in your professional lives and that you really are in what you do, uh, you know, uh, frequently God's hands of, of grace and compassion and help to people who are in difficult situations. And so um, thank you from the people who are listening for what you do. And uh, if you've been listening to this podcast, thanks for joining it. And we hope you'll join us again at a future time together here on Belief Beat. 
Goodbye for now. Bye. Thanks for inviting us. Thanks for having us.